Welcome, listeners, to Season 2, Episode 7 of Drinking and Screaming, a queer and feminist podcast about horror movies and cocktails. I'm Char. And I'm Kelly. And we've had to switch up what we're watching this week due to film delays. We'll give you the desperately craved episode on A Quiet Place Part 2 as soon as we can. Don't worry, though. Our virus pandemic-themed Twitter poll has taken care of you, sweet listener. You voted, you decided, and we got to watch 28 Days Later from 2002. But first, we have an inspired cocktail creation that we made to match the mood and themes of the movie. So we created this drink with what we could scrounge up during our own quarantine. Yeah, it's basically like um, ration drink. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) This episode will contain discussions on COVID-19, coronavirus, and sexual assault. So if that's not something that you need to hear right now, don't feel bad about skipping this episode. So I made the drink. You did make the drink. This week. I think I came up with it, though, so I'm going to take credit at least for that, because the last two drinks have been pre-made, so... (laughs) Wait, the last two? Yeah. We had the tuck one for Quiet Place, and we had the s'more one for Friday, so we've not made a drink in a while. Yes. So this was a collaborative effort, let's say that. (laughs) Uh, So I call it the infected screwdriver. Ooh. Because screwdrivers are a great weapon. This was your idea. You should say that part. So I said, first I said that screwdrivers have orange juice in them, so it's good if you're sick. And then you just kind of like sat there without giving me any sort of comedic response. So (laughs) I layered on top of that and I said, screwdrivers are also good to kill people with or infected people or zombies or what have you. Yeah. To which you kind of gave me a chuckle. So. And then I stuck with that idea. Yeah. It was good. good. (laughs) But yeah, we have been self-isolating. We are not sick, but I am. A high risk human due to the COVID 19 right now. I, I didn't realize that we were quarantining. I stay home all the time, anyways. <laughs> so I work from home. So it's like, yeah, remoting in. That's the thing that I do every day. So <laughs> fingers crossed. I so far still I'm able to work from home, but we've lost a lot of projects at my job. So I might lose my job soon. I mean, luckily you didn't lose a quiet place too. Only we did. Yeah. Sad face. I mean, now you have insight onto what movies are going to be delayed because you knew which movies were being filmed and are now canceled. So you have the insider scoop. I do. Although it's not really insider anymore. Everybody knows. Basically, everything is shut down completely. Yeah. Anything that ever is filmed is done. There were some projects that tried to hold out, but then they were like, oh, this is actually a real bad thing. You know what's probably going to happen? A bunch of cool indie movies are going to be made with like just family or a single person making it. Like inside their house. I've seen a few people post on doing like found footage style and they would like record via Skype. Oh, we should do found footage. Yeah. Let's make our own movie. I mean, why not? Got nothing else to do. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, we I struggled with making this drink usually because we do get all our liquor sponsored or most of our liquor sponsored by lovely Vancouver distilleries. Yes. But I like to branch out and try and make as different style cocktails as I can, which requires going out shopping. Yeah. Going to buy ingredients, (laughs) which we could not do. And I was like, hmm, how about frozen chicken breast in this cocktail? Delicious. (laughs) And canned soup cocktail. Um, But I'm glad that we had the tiniest bit of orange juice left in our fridge. Which is going to be featured in one of our future episodes that's already been recorded. Time travel. So we're somehow going to have more orange juice in the future than we do now. (laughs) 
So this week we watched 28 Days Later. Wait, you didn't say what the what else was in the drink. We are sponsored with through this one, so oh, you yeah. do have to say what's in the drink. Right. It's Muddler's Vodka Soda. That was my addition. It was going to just be regular vodka, and I was like, no, we have to try and be fancy. We have to uplift our spirits. So it's like a poor man's champ- uh, mimosa. Yeah, it does taste like a mimosa. <laughs> I also threw a sprig of rosemary in there to make it even more fancy and different than a regular screwdriver. Huzzah! It actually looks pretty good and it does. tastes good. So if we didn't tell you the entire story of us not having ingredients, we probably could have just said this is what we intended to do. Yes. Yeah. The whole time, this is what I was planning. It's very refreshing. Yeah, it's good. I like it. You can feel the vitamin D entering your body. From? The orange juice. You mean C? Yep. Yeah? I said D. Are you sure you're not sick? No. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, so this week we watched 28 Days Later. It premiered in the UK on November 1st, 2002. It's written by Alex Garland, directed by Danny Boyle, and it stars Cillian Murphy as lone survivor Jim, Naomi Harris as survivor veteran Selena, and Christopher Eccleston as army major Henry West. I keep trying to think of a time to make the joke that it's not to be confused with 28 Days with Sandra Bullock. But I think I missed my opportunity, so I'm just kind of like shoving it in here now. It's not not a good joke. What a a great little reference there. I also think that's from The Office or something, now that I think about it. Whatever. (laughs) I made it. It's too late now. I can't. It's not like I can edit it out. As Kelly mentioned, in a further down the line episode that we pre-recorded, we had more orange juice. That episode we did with Rosemary's Ladies is coming up. But I realized, so when we do our synopsis on our show, we try to take like IMDb synopsises that have already been made, summaries, uh, and sometimes we add a little bit. They are huge fans of someone named Claudio Carvalho from Brazil who always posts synopsises on IMDb. And we've been using a few of his. Nice. So I thought that was really funny that we like collabed there and he made one for 28 Days Later. So I was like, oh, now that we're best friends with Rosemary's Ladies, (laughs) we have to use Claudio. Good. Dear, dear friend of the horror movie podcasts. (laughs) So what you're saying is nobody sent in a recording of saying the synopsis to us. No. Nobody loves us. You hear that, listener? You don't love us us. But if you do love us and want to have the synopsis that you want to say be in the next episode, just listen to the end for what we're watching next episode and then give a synopsis by recording it. Yeah. And then send it to drinkingandscreaming at gmail.com. That's right. So Claudio writes, animal activists invade a laboratory with the intention of releasing chimpanzees that are undergoing experimentation. Unfortunately for them, they don't know that they're infected by a virus, a virus that causes rage. The naive activists ignore the pleas of a scientist to keep the cages locked with disastrous results. 28 days later, wink, our protagonist Jim wakes up from a coma alone in an abandoned hospital. Naked. Oh. He begins to seek out anyone else to find London is deserted, apparently without a living soul. After finding a church which had become inhabited by zombie-like humans intent on his demise, he runs for his life. Selena and Mark rescue him from the horde and bring him up to date on the mass carnage and horror as all of London tore itself apart. This is a tale of survival and ultimately heroics with nice subtext about mankind's savage nature. And then I'm going to add a little bit. So to wrap this up, Jim wants to find out what happened to his parents. So the group goes there to his house only to find the parents dead from suicide and to be attacked by the infected in the middle of the night. 
Mark gets bitten. Selena does not hesitate to kill him, stating that you only have 10 to 20 seconds before anyone will turn. Selena and Jim meet up with a father-daughter duo, and the group follows the directions of a radio broadcast, telling them the army base has the answer to the virus. They make their way there, luckily stocking up at a full grocery store along the way, only for the father to become infected by a blood droplet landing in his eye once they get to the army's blockade. The military take the remaining survivors back to their base, where things are quickly revealed to not be as they seem. Major Henry West set up the radio broadcast to lure women to the camp to satiate his men and have a future, hard quote. (laughs) Selena and the daughter are forced to dress up in fancy dresses so that the army pigs can have their way with them. Jim finds out and tries to warn them, but is thrown out to be killed. Somehow he manages to escape and make his way back to the camp. With the help of some infected, Jim manages to save Selena and the daughter. He gets shot in the stomach by Major West, but they all get out alive. Well, minus Major West. He dies. Later, we see the three survivors making a sign out of white sheets saying hello on the lawn for the passing helicopter to see. Helicopter? Whatever. Plane. It's okay. I have a fact about specifically what that is. Great. So, yeah. You could write the synopsis next time. <laughs> I have to edit. <laughs> we all have our jobs. We all have to do our jobs during these trying times. Of COVID-19. Hit me with that trailer audio. <laughs> today in hospital. I wake up and I'm, I'm hallucinating. I've got some bad news. They're infected. Infected! Father. Infected with what? Oh, I shouldn't have done that. They're dead. And you're gonna be next. <gasps> That was a very intense trailer. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like I was watching a Rob Zombie tr- like music video. Yeah. And then the music at the end was definitely very... sounded like Rob Zombie. Yeah. It made it seem more like an action movie than a horror movie. I mean, it almost explicitly showed the action scenes. Yeah. But it didn't give away basically any of the plot. No, it was just these people are crazy and will attack you. Look out. Look out. They have rage. Also, I believe that the infection itself is called rage. Yeah, I think so. I learned that in the facts that I did. Which reminds me, I didn't point it out in my actual thoughts, but um, it seems like the virus that the animals have is human created. Like Uh rage is was caused because when they had that big chimp strapped down watching like the violent images. Mm -hmm. I think that was them testing to see if it was still raged or something. I don't know if they had a cure for it and they were testing to see or they were testing like a a non-infected chimpanzee to see how it reacts to that sort of imagery. Right. But because the activists had no idea. No. And the but the way that the doctor was talking, it seemed like they were trying to find a cure. Like he was saying that they're infected uh, and you can't like he was actually trying to help the activists by not getting them involved. Yeah. But it's in the same way when we watched Contagion the other day that they need to infect the chimpanzees with the virus so that they can observe it and attempt to create a vaccine. Right. But this, to me, it seemed like this was before any sort of rage had been out. Unless they found it in select people and managed to quarantine them. It's hard to say. I feel like that whole first scene was made to look like the doctors were eviler than they actually might have been. I feel like they genuinely were trying to cure it. And these activists just didn't like the way that it was being done. So they unintentionally released the virus. I saw it as they were just there. They were being activists because they knew the animals were being tested on, but they didn't know what 
what was, it was happening. Yeah. And mm-hmm. then that's why the doctor was like, no, no. Little A, little B. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe yeah. it's intentionally ambiguous. So you don't know if the scientists or the activists are the reason that it got spread out. Hmm. Do you have some thoughts? I do have some thoughts. So we touched on it a little bit with the discussion of the drink, but I like that they're not technically zombies. They don't die and then reanimate. Uh, Yeah, yeah. And they don't like they don't reanimate to eat the living. Uh, They're extremely fast, kind of like the World War Z ones. Yep. And you don't have to destroy their brain. You can just kill them normally and they'll die. So it is very much just an infection that like ruins the person's mind and makes them really angry. Yeah. Which kind of makes me think of, uh, I haven't seen it, but The Cured. I've heard of it, but I don't think I've ever actually seen it. Yeah. It's a virus that can be, they eventually get cured of their zombie virus, but they remember everything that they did, but they couldn't stop themselves from doing it, Hmm. which I feel like is kind of similar here. Not that they get cured, but that they just lose control and... They are enraged. <laughs> yeah, that would suck if these people got cured and they were like, oh, wow, we just devastated London, killed hundreds of thousands of people um, and basically made an apocalypse. That sucks. Well, back to living. Yep. Um, but yeah, I like I actually in one of the interviews with the directors, they said that by the time that they made this movie, the like brain eating slow zombies were kind of played out. And originally, like slow zombies and all that was supposed to be human fear of what radiation does to humans. So it was kind of around the same uh, time as like nuclear fallout and stuff like that. And they thought that at this point, that's not really a concern for people anymore. What they are afraid of is like disease and and pandemic and how that might be translated into a fallout apocalypse movie. Yeah, because 2002, what was that? Like swine flu? Um, It might have been SARS, but I can't remember if SARS came before or after 9-11. I feel like I was around the same age when 9-11 happened and SARS was a big thing. So it might have been like Ebola, maybe. Sure. I can't remember. I'm unaware. <laughs> it was, <laughs> but a- definitely there have been pandemics around that time. Yeah, it was Epona, the horse from uh, Ocarina of Time. <laughs> but yeah, I just thought that's really interesting. It still kind of plays to the same idea, like don't get close to them. You can't reason with them. Don't go out at night kind of thing. Yeah. So I think for all their huff about not wanting to do the zombie paradigm, they kind of just did it again. Yeah. Yeah. Which I don't know. It's still cool. My second point is that I really like the Mark character who is the dad of uh, Hannah. Is that his name? I believe so. Oh, no. Mark is. I thought Mark was the first survivor. Right. You're right. Frank. Is that the name of the dad? I don't know. Okay. I'm going to go with Frank because I think that's right. Um, Google it? No, it's fine. Frank, we've renamed you if that's not your name. I think it is. But uh, <laughs> I think I remember Cillian Murphy saying his name. I like that he's a loving father and like a decent, a decent guy, but you can kind of see the cracks forming from the stress. Oh, especially as it goes on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because I remember when we saw him in the movie, you were like, I don't remember what he does, but I remember him doing something bad. Yeah. And I was like, he kind of is framed as like an untrustworthy character, maybe. Mm-hmm. He's kind of got that like writing style of I'm a very nice guy, but in the background, I'm actually planning something to kill all of you. And that's like how every you're kind of trained to think that way. Once you're in a zombie movie, like watching state, like everybody you meet is going to fuck you over. Everyone's evil. Even if they seem like the nicest guy on the on the surface, they're but probably going to kill you. He actually was. Yeah. And you can see him like. Even in the beginning when he's talking to Jim about how he tries to collect water and it's ironic that it doesn't rain in England and because uh, it always does. Yeah, exactly. And you can see like he's he kind of like holding back the anger like he kicks one of the buckets 
but he's not like full blown. He's just like an angry moment. Yeah. But when they find out that there's no army, that's like the cracks have all split open and he's just going into a full uninfected rage, which is so sad because that's what makes him get the blood in the eyeball. Yeah. It's like his ultimately that's his downfall is Ugh. letting it all like, cause he was supposed to be the rock for everybody. Like yeah. he's holding everyone together. Oh, it was so sad when uh, Jim was having a nightmare and then he woke him up and he was like, thanks dad. Yeah. That was, oh. that was so heartwarming. Oh. And even what's her name? The daughter? No, the main girl. Selena. Selena. Even Selena looking at Frank and his daughter brought her enough hope to basically change her whole character. Outlook, yeah. Yeah. Because in the beginning, she's like the opposite of the nice person who'll kill you. She's the person that will kill you while being, you know, survival. Like she'll fucking kill you if she has to. Yeah. Um, she will not hesitate. But uh, then she gets turned around, even at the end of the movie, which almost to her downfall when she sees Jim basically raged out and doesn't kill him right away. He could have been infected and that was her just dying there. But, but she fell in love with him. Yeah. yeah. As all zombie movies do. Yeah. I mean, I mean, not all zombie movies, but it's very cliche. I could see falling in love in trying times because it's basically the last thing you're probably going to do in your life. Yeah. It's just bone down. I I feel like I would do that. Well, she also calls that out in the beginning of the film. She's she gives like two options of like, let's fall in love and fuck or and I can't remember what the other one is, but it's another cliche of like end of the world. Yeah. It's like we're not going to it's there's no point in making plans because we're just going to die. Yeah. Which I don't think fucking is a a plan. It's just an action. (laughs) Yeah. Especially at that point. Well, plans of a future together is what she was saying. Yeah. But then they do that. <laughs> yeah. Then she fall. Then they fall in love anyways. And it kind of gets a little bit more peaceful at the end, though. Yeah. They've adopted this daughter. <laughs> uh, and my final point, because I've got a lot of facts. There's so many really cool facts about this movie. Ooh, I'm into it. Um, the music in this movie is so incredible. Yes. I'm glad that you pointed this out. It's like it's such a good it's such a good sign of what's it called? Like scoring. It's yeah, such a good sign of, yeah, like scoring or compo- compositing a movie. Composing. Anyways, composing a movie. Yeah. When the music almost feels like a character in itself. For sure. Like the, uh, even just like the iconic, like London scene of him walking around and it's so desolate. I'm glad that was in the trailer because it reminded me of how great that opening yeah. was. And, and yeah, the music really elevated that scene. Starts to ramp up as like it sinks in what is happening. Yeah. He starts to understand that there's nobody alive anymore. And the music just like reflects his inner anguish. Um, Even like when they're driving through the countryside and they're all like cheery and fun. There's almost like a like a churchy choir in the background to make it seem more peaceful. Relaxed. Yeah. Yeah, They finally have some reprieve. Which, you know, is never you can never trust that that's going to stick around in a zombie movie. Yeah. No good zombie movie has that as the ending is them like, well, we found each other. Let's drive around the countryside and everything's fine. I did like that. Usually in horror zombie films, when people find like a huge stash of items that they desperately need, that's usually the point where like someone breaks in or like the zombies come and attack Mm. them while they're in the fully stocked grocery store. But this film let us have that happiness of them just like taking three full carts and shoving it all in their car and like driving on again and eating it in a field and seeing some loving horses. Yeah. Yeah. That's good. I like that. It's, but it also, it's a good technique of giving the viewer more and more good things to appreciate and then taking it all away in the end. Yeah. Yeah. It really did. I think they gave us that moment to solidify the group becoming like a family in such a short amount of time. 
which is why then the ending is so. Ugh. Yeah, even not not even the ending, just Frank's ultimate demise is such like a heartbreaking moment because you've seen the, these four people like grouped together so quickly. Yeah. Yeah. Which is interesting because my first point is that I only really have one negative thing to say about this film. And it's that I didn't really love the characters or the story. It, didn't, oh. it kind of felt surface level for me. And like, I love zombie movies. I think it's probably one of my favorite horror subgenres. But the reason that I love them is because I love seeing how humanity deals with the chaos oh, yeah. uh, of the apocalypse and like getting to dive into high stakes stories with intense relationships and everybody like grows as people. So you like The Walking Dead. <laughs> yeah or like cargo or like oh yeah basically like all the f- recent apocalypse movies that i've watched there are a lot of them i find are better than this and that's not to say that this is a bad film i really really enjoyed this movie and talking about it just now about how they've grown as a family is having the chance to analyze that more now makes me backpedal a little bit on this point <laughs> but not enough to take it away because like the opening of the film when he realizes what's happened to him and like walking through London is really, really great. The last like 20 minutes of dealing with the army base is also really, really awesome. And we only get that because they've created this bond. Yeah. But the actual bonding moment of the family as a whole, I feel like is very lacking except for that grocery store. And then like seeing the daughter see her dad get shot. But then that's my other point is that that point, that element of the film sucked because Hannah can't act for shit. (laughs) I wonder if that's also a reason that you couldn't really connect to their growth as people is because they had this one terrible actress with her. Yeah. She dragged it down. I was going to talk about her later, but I guess I'll do it now. Okay. So Hannah is played by Megan Burns, who I'm very sorry to say is terrible. Just terrible. Just a terrible actress. (laughs) She's so monotone. I had to ask you, I couldn't think of, as I was writing this point earlier, what examples there are of her saying lines. I just could remember how much I hated her. And then you were like, oh yeah, when they're on the balcony. So she's like talking with her dad and then Selena and Jim because Selena wants to leave them behind. And she's like, well, you need us as much as we need you. Yeah, we've got, we're we're all got to to work together. Do this together. I mean, that and when Frank gets shot, she's like, Dad? Yeah, she watches her father get devastated with like 20 bullets. But first, before he like starts, he could feel himself starting to change. So he like violently throws her away before he fully like commits to the transformation, which is really shocking to her in and of itself. And that part, that moment without her speaking was actually good. Ooh, so she's more of a physical actress. (laughs) And then the army shoots the shit out of him. And then she just sits next to him and goes, dad. And it's not even like, I feel like it's the way I'm explaining it. It makes it sound better than it was because no, it was just really, it was like, she was supposed to be like shocked and didn't know how to respond, but she was, it was more like, Hey dad, are you okay? Yeah. Are you ready to wake up from this nap, dad? let's, Let's go. And it's not in a way of like, I'm not able to process what has just happened in front of me. It's in the, I can't act for shit way. Yeah. Cause if she went up and was like pushing on her dad and was like, you've got to wake up now. That's like a puppy dog. Yeah. Trying to push on its owner. But this was more like, I don't understand what happened. I'm just a really dumb person. And yeah. Dad, you all right? You okay? 
The only time that her acting was actually good was when she had gotten high. Oh, because then it just seemed like she was high. Because she, then she didn't have to change her vocalizations anymore. Exactly. I wonder if that was added as a plot point to like give her a bunch of drugs so it looked like she was just floating through the environment because yeah. they realized they couldn't get her to act good. Oh, man. Because it's not one of my facts, but this movie was shot more or less sequentially. Oh, that's cool. Nice. So, which is really strange then because Cillian Murphy's hair changes from long to short back to like a bit longer. So I wonder if they like filmed that final scene like several weeks later. I'm not sure. 28 weeks later. Oh, no. Have you seen 28 weeks later? I think I have. But again, I saw this movie a long time ago, and I think I saw that one a long time ago, too. I don't remember it. Because I remember more things from 28 weeks, but I don't want to spoil anything because it directly plays into this movie. So I won't really mention it. Okay. We can watch it 28 weeks from now. (laughs) Just for the bit. This film is an excellent representation of why I'm terrified of humans because this whole thing could basically happen. And I mean, it basically probably totally would if we got that far into the apocalypse. If COVID gets worse, this is just an indicator. I mean, like contagion was a good indicator of how a bunch of organizations deal with taking care of a virus. But this one's like, what happens if that fails? Yeah, because it spreads so quickly. Which we're lucky, definitely. I will say a hard stance. COVID-19 is not going to kill us all. Nobody's biting anybody yet. (laughs) I feel like that's a quick way to spread it. Yeah. If people just start biting each other. take a moment to talk about our sponsors and socials. This episode of Drinking and Screaming is brought to you by Muddler's Vodka Soda. Their ready-made cocktail in a can allows you to be your own bartender without any of the hassle. It's made with locally sourced, vegan, and gluten-free ingredients, and it has zero carbs. That's good, because in these trying times where I can't work out, I need not carbs. Yeah. Also, it's time. We're giving away our $30 gift card to Tuck Craft Kitchen, which is now being socially responsible and is totally closed. But they will reopen. They will. Our favorite Vancouver craft bar and kitchen. And now you get to try it out. Drum roll, please. Sharky Cronk. We've reached out to you on social media to iron out the details. Congratulations. Woo! You can always just give it to us if you want. We're fine. We'll take it. You can follow us on Instagram and Twitter at drink underscore scream on Facebook at drink and scream. And you can email us at drinking and screaming at gmail.com. The best way to help us grow is to tell your friends about us. But on social media, don't go to their house and tell them about us. Yes. Wash your hands. Practice social distancing. We are just quarantining ourselves, even though we're healthy, because it's for the good of mankind. Yeah. You don't want to get unhealthy people sick. You want to not kill people during these trying times. Have a little Skype session and then just bring up our podcast. Only go out if you really need to, like getting groceries because you've run out of food or go to the hospital because you stabbed your foot. Ow. Yeah. I was thinking about that. I was was making dinner and I had to cut things and I was like, this is a really bad time for me to slip and cut my finger. And if you want to hang out with us without getting too close to us, you can join our Discord at bit.ly slash hopped up Discord. Oh, man. Everyone's playing Animal Crossing now. Oh, yeah. You want to join in. <laughs> we also did a Jackbox <laughs> session that we might do weekly during these trying times. So yes. come hang out with us and enjoy yourself. Fill it with horror. Back to the horror.
I said that the story sucked, but the last half hour or so of this film is super good. And I'd seen it before, but like so long ago. So I kind of forgot what was happening. But I remember as soon as we got to the army, I was like something bad. I know that something awful is going to happen, but I can't remember what it is. And then as they're in the army truck, he's like three survivors, two female, one male. And I was like, oh, no, I repeat two female, one male. Why would you bother saying that? And then I was like, oh, yeah, that thing that literally every zombie movie approaches. Because that's exactly what it would be in real life. Yeah, it's like we have so much less power than men already. It's like the only motivation for men during the apocalypse. Yeah. And then they have the like, what's the word for like the austerity, I guess is a good word. Of like, fuck you, like, oh, we're doing it for the future because we need to populate the earth while zombies are rampant everywhere. We need to save. I mean, like protecting the women is one thing. Like, hey, you are the child bearers. We're going to treat you like queens during this event. But literally, like, my guys are horny and one of them was going to kill himself if he didn't get his nut off. So I promised we'd get him women so that he could fuck. That's bad. I did like, though, I mean, there's it's like kind of the idea of women being one of the bigger audiences for true crime. Oh, yeah. It's like, why is it women? And it's because it happens to us. And I find like I am intrigued in like apocalypse films, especially in this regard of like what happens to the women, because it's always kind of terrible. But it's like a car crash. Like you can't look away. (laughs) You need to know more about it. And I just feel It's like this weird line of like, that's totally plausible (laughs) awfulness. It's like anything. It's like an action movie. You just put a little extra action into it to make it more enjoyable. Whereas like an apocalypse movie, it's like just put a little less accountability for people and they'll show you their true form. Yeah. I did love, though, when they realize what's going to happen to them, uh, Selena and Hannah. Selena does like everything she can. So she tries like so many different roads of getting out of this situation. And then it becomes very clear that there's nothing they can do. I mean, there's only two people. They're both terrified. She's trying to be literally all military men with guns and physical training. And she's trying to be like a mother protector of Hannah, who is like shuddering in a corner. And so then she decides to drug her. Yeah. And I was like, that's so smart. And, and it's extremely so sad. sad. Yeah. It's so sad, but that's better than nothing. I did like that one because they brought up the pills earlier with them not being able to sleep. So that was a good Chekhov's pills. When they True. took them to go to sleep, those are probably the same pills that they would take to make her not care. Yeah. She was going to take a bunch of them. Yeah. Not to die, but. Which is interesting. Like, I'm surprised that she didn't immediately go to like, well, we're just going to take a bunch of pills and die now. It was, which means that she. She really did change. Her character did change in wanting to. Oh, I was going to say that also she then thinks that they're going like she's going to probably try to come up with a plan to escape later. Yeah. But for the time being, like, don't just need to get through this. Yeah. Because I think that goes with her character arc of like, all we can do is survive now. But now she has something to fight for, which is Hannah and Jim. Yeah. So she wants to get out of this situation as best as she can. Whereas before she probably would have just tried to commit suicide or whatever. Yeah. Which is a very downer point to have, but it was a huge part of this movie. I didn't want to gloss over it as a survivor myself. I really liked how they dealt with that. Mm -hmm. Although it does kind of suck, on the other hand, how Jim has to be the one that like saves the day. Yeah, they don't really do much after. I thought maybe once Jim started creating havoc that it would give her an opportunity to prove herself again. Yeah. 
But even down to the point when Jim like jumps through a window to attack the guy that's been dragging Selena around, like she could have like distracted him or like chucked him against the wall so that uh, Jim had a better opportunity. But it was literally like she cowered back and Jim grabbed him. Yeah, she was in like freeze response. Gouged his eyes out. That was intense. Oh, one of the facts that aren't really a fact. It's more just someone pointing out the movie um, was that of this movie of people getting infected and having like a rage virus and stuff like that. The most violent scene was a non-infected man smashing another guy's head up against a wall and then jamming his thumbs into his eyes. Yeah. Which I think was there to show like kind of maybe make you think that Jim might be infected at that point since there's a lot of blood on him. And definitely like Selena thinks that when it's happening. Yeah. And it's kind of, it's interesting that the thing that saves Jim is kind of giving into the virus without actually getting infected. He kind of becomes what Just the virus gives into is. into the rage. Yeah. yeah. And then gets shot in the tummy. Yeah. Oof. Ouch. But I do have a last point that is more of an uplifting thing. Ooh. In that there are such strong ladies in this movie. Yay. Selena is like a tough bitch. Not even like she is a tough <laughs> bitch. And Jim, uh, Jim full on acknowledges that he would be dead without her. Yeah. He takes the time to say like a severe or not severe, a sincere thank you to her, which is awesome. She's badass. Love it. And then Hannah also is really awesome in that she saves the day quite a bit with her driving. Yeah. She's the one that changes the tire in the tunnel, which, oh my God, why did you go in that fucking tunnel? Because it was fast. It was the most direct route. Yeah. And it's fucking dark. And then you saw that it was filled with cars. And what was your decision? Let's drive over it. Bad job, Frank. That was one of my least favorite Serena moments because as they're holding up the car, she's screaming like out of character, basically. She's like, oh my God, they're coming. Hurry. And then she looks like doing that, like stock scream of like woman scream dot MP3. Yeah. Which was like, I don't know. I feel like if anything that was supposed to expose that she does have like a, like she can get scared. Right. And she's not a solid emotionless stone. Yeah. But I think it was a bit overdone. That's fair. And it was definitely her. It wasn't Hannah screaming. Cause yeah, because Hannah's too busy changing the tire. Hannah would be like, we need to hurry up. They're coming. Uh, oh, no. Uh, but it, so she did do that. And at the end of the movie, she saves the day again with her driving. Yeah. There's multiple times in the film that you see how cool she is with uh, behind the wheel. Which I liked. That's true. She does that stunt where she breaks right in front of the group when they're at the gas station. Yeah. And her dad's like, oh, fuck off. (laughs) She's interesting because he's it's implied that he's a taxi driver because he has a taxi. Yeah. Unless he like stole it, which is probably acceptable. Yeah. But the fact that she also knows how to drive means that they probably had a close relationship of like him teaching her how to drive. Hmm. which is really cool. And the only time we get a glimpse of them having or her having a mother is in a picture that's in Frank and Hannah's house. Yeah. But they never mention like if she died during the infection or if they've been alone for a while. Mm-hmm. It was like before the infection happened, but they do seem to have a good relationship. Yeah. Which is cool. And he made her a badass. Hell yeah. Good dad. Yeah. But yeah, that's my last point. That's your last point, you say. Indeed. Does that mean you're ready for Scaredy facts. So I did the scaredy facts this time. (gasps) But Kelly, what are scaredy facts? I was going to segue. Thanks. (laughs) So scaredy facts is the section of our podcast where we introduce you to our relationship, where after every scary movie that Char and I watch, we will snuggle up in bed and read the trivia facts on IMDb. And that's what we're doing now. Right now. Woo. So the budget for this movie was an estimated $8 million. 
eight million, which is two thousand and two. That's um pretty big. It also would be pounds converted to dollars. So I don't know how much how many pounds that is. Right. But There's I know a, for a fact that the one of the most expensive shots was blowing up a fucking gas station. Yeah, that yeah. would be expensive. <laughs> uh, the opening weekend in the U.S. was ten million dollars. I thought that said ten billion dollars, but that's the date after. Yeah. So that's June 29th, 2003. And that is not, in fact, $10 billion and $29. <laughs> um, and the cum- cumulative worldwide gross is about $85 million, which totally makes sense. This is like a huge classic film. Yeah. Everybody knows this movie. Yeah. Like it, it made 10 times its budget. That's pretty dang good. It's pretty good, Danny Boyle, creator of Train Spotter. Um, train spotting, train spottering, train sprottering. <laughs> so my first fact is yes, tell me. Danny Boyle and Naomi Harris, Naomi, Naomi Harris developed a backstory to explain why Selena was such a badass. Ooh. Apparently she was forced to kill her infected mother and father to save her baby brother only to discover that her brother was also infected. Oh, and then probably had to kill him too. Yeah, that's so sad. I wonder if there's like a novelization of this movie or a graphic novel. That would be cool. Maybe. But that's why she's such a badass, especially after 28 days. She had to kill all her family. Yeah, that sucks. Number two for the London scenes, the one in the beginning where everything was empty. Yep. Police closed the roads off at 4 a.m. and filming would begin immediately. After one hour, the police would reopen the roads. The producers correctly predicted that asking drivers, including clubbers heading home, to either wait for a, <laughs> wait for up to an hour or find another route might make some of them angry. So you know what they did? What? They got several extremely attractive young women, including including Danny Boyle's daughter, to make the necessary requests. And the drivers responded quite amicably at, to that. Oh, boy. <laughs> Thank you, pretty women. <laughs> I mean, they also probably did it nicer than the men. Because if you got like, yeah. uh, what are they called? Not roadies. Um, Teamsters. You got a bunch of teamsters to stand on the road and be like, oi, we're going to be filming here for about an hour. So we're going to need you to take a route or wait. They'd be like, well, bugger. <laughs> but if a, if, bugger. If, if a beautiful woman came up and was like, hello there, we're going to be filming here for about an hour. What's your name? <laughs> then they'd probably be fine. Yeah. They don't have to just delay them, relay the message. They also have to flirt with them. Yeah, exactly. Because this was several days of them filming the scene in the morning. Yeah. It's so, only for an hour. That's true. But it was several days of an hour. Yeah. I would have just been a cop and lied and said that they were doing street cleaning. <laughs> <laughs> An infection has been loosed. Uh, so my third point is that the scene where Jim and Selena are celebrating with Frank and Hannah, um, it was shot on. It sec- is Frank. Good job. Thanks. Maybe I just remember. I picked it up. Uh, so the scene where they were all celebrating was shot on September 11th, 2001. Danny Boyle said it felt extremely strange to shoot a celebratory scene on that particular day. Oh, no. So I don't have the fact later on, but they released this movie after 9-11. And there were so many references that could have been like, this is what people did after 9-11. Like the poster boards of all the missing people. Yeah. Um, Like just the empty city streets and stuff like that. That people thought that this movie was like making fun of an American incident. Oh, but it was like genuinely they filmed most of the movie before 9-11. Yeah, um, that's so sad. And then they Aww. still had to release it. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Rough. 
So fourth fact, the hospital in the film is a real day hospital. It's only open during the week. So the trust managers of the hospital will hire out the building to filmmakers for the weekend. And the producer, the production pay the hospital directly, meaning that all money that is filmed, that is used to film in this hospital goes directly to the hospital. That's really nice. Yeah, that's good. That's That's, so smart. mm -hmm. That's kind of like not as good, but in Vancouver, that uh, mental hospital that got shut down. Yeah. Half of it's being used for filming. Half of it is back to being a hospital and the other half is for filming to fund the mental hospital. Yeah. Which is good and sad that capitalism has brought that to light. Uh, Number five. The crew filed all of the necessary papers to destroy the Cannery Wharf petrol station, which is the one that explodes. Uh, but the police were unintentionally not informed. So when the explosions oh, no. were detonated, the police sent fire brigades, although there were already some present. And Danny Boyle had to resolve the minor, the matter after several hours. Uh, and the explosion cost 250,000 pounds. Wow. Yeah. That's so dumb. How do you not tell the cops? I, I don't know. But I like that so many of the facts about this movie are how irresponsible the film crew was yeah it's so great i love it <laughs> but they still got all the papers i feel like that's just like a yeah we just fart. forgot to let the cops know that we're gonna blow up a fucking gas station yeah you know yeah that's fine that's date they won't even <laughs> think about it um what am i at like six or something six or seven sure this one's just a fun one the word fuck is used 61 times fuck nice I wonder how many we have per episode. That'd be interesting. I feel like we've been swearing more this episode than most. Good. Because of how bad I was very passionate about. Yeah. (laughs) And the awfulness of the ending. All right. So here is another irresponsible crew foible. Uh Oh, so the execution pit scene near the end of the film was outside of a church off of Witherington Road. I'm sure some people will know that it connects Salisbury to Downton. Like Downton Abbey? Anyways. It's a typo of downtown? I don't know. Uh, One of the prop teams didn't pick up the fake bodies after filming. (gasps) A local hairdresser from Downton saw them from the road, panicked, crashed her car, and phoned the police who came to investigate and interrogate the crew. Oh my God. So fucking stupid. Wow. Wow, that's really bad. They needed better PAs on this. Just left a bunch of corpses. That's so stupid. Oh my God. There was a follow-up. Um, apparently, I think it was... I might be fucking up the trivia, but there was a local bartender or bar owner that was a huge fan of Danny Boyle. Yep. And they gave him one of the prop corpses. Nice. Yeah. That's cool. That's fun. Yeah, after the cops <laughs> took them because you left them in a ditch. Oh, boy. Idiots. And here's another fun fact. Jim <laughs> spends 30% of the movie either shirtless or nude. Penis! Yeah, there's a lot of penis in this movie. There was penis in the trailer. Yeah, which is allowed in the UK. Oh, right. You're allowed to show a flaccid penis. The moment it gets hard, it's not allowed to be shown. Can you show a vagina? I think so, yeah. Okay, good. I hate it when it's Unless only it's fully erect. <laughs> uh, another fact about this one is that it was a completely closed set for that nude scene. Um, good. But it made it seem like Cillian Murphy had to request that and it wasn't immediately offered to him. Oh. Yeah. Boo. Yeah. We've been watching the office commentary recently and even the shot of 
in the like season one where Meredith shows Michael her boobs, they were like so respectful. The camera that he takes a picture with didn't even have battery or a card in it. Yeah. And uh, or I think it had batteries so it could flash, but there's no card in it. Nobody was allowed to watch except for the necessary crew. And she had pasties and stuff. Yeah. So you can see the difference between a nice crew that leaves corpses in a ditch and doesn't offer Cillian Murphy a close set for his penis. And then the office. Yeah. I like how you said a nice crew. Oh, I got that reversed. <laughs> I'm sure the listeners know what you mean. You know, flip it, reverse yeah. it. The, what Willy Wonka says. <laughs> All right. And here's the only, the, here's the closest I can get to my favorite trivia facts, which are about cars and guns, which weirdly enough, there were none considering there were both a lot of cars and a lot of guns in this movie. And like the military vehicles would have been cool. Yeah. And the, even the car that Frank drives, I would have liked to know what that is. But the fact is that last scene with the hello sign, Hey, it's not a helicopter. I don't know how you got that. Actually, I do. I have a fact about that. One sec. (laughs) But the jet plane in the last scene is a British made Hawker Hunter. Cool. And the person piloting it is speaking Finnish. And the last sentence said from the Finnish uh, actor is, are you going to send a helicopter? Oh, okay. Which is why in my brain, I was like, helicopter. Because you speak perfect Finnish. Yep. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, that was, that's it. Just one vehicle fact. Which is interesting that he's not send a helicopter. It's, are you going to? Let's not bother saving these three people. Or he was going to pick them up them himself somehow. True. But that would be extremely hard to land and orchestrate. Yeah. Or they might. But it was definitely it. meant to be a happy ending. Yeah, that's true. For sure. Also, I don't. Oh, man. I had, there were so many good facts. And now I'm just remembering them. Tell me them. The area that they filmed that scene it, with like the cottage and stuff. Yep. It took crew upwards of like three hours, I think, to get there. And it took the wow. jet four minutes. <laughs> So that is cool. I wonder how expensive it was to get the jet. Uh, $3,000 per shot or oh, 3,000 wow. pounds per shot. Just per shot, though. For fuel. Yeah. That's so a lot. I of don't money. know how many shots they had to do. Hopefully Probably not that lot. many. Probably it, like eight. Yeah. Don't fuck that up. No. You have a final thought? Yeah. My final thought is that it is a very, very, very good movie. But I think that each time I watch it, it feels like it's slower than I want it to be. Okay. And I, and I think that I need to wait a longer time between this in my next viewing because I actually watched this on the plane ride back from Montreal like last Christmas. Yeah. And I don't know. Every time I think I'm like, oh yeah, 22 days or 28 days later, that's a really like cool like thriller zombie movie. But then you watch it and there's just a lot of downtime scenes. Yeah. Like the action scenes are really good and I really like the composition and stuff, but it's just slower. I think I might also have it mixed with 28 weeks later, which I believe is a lot more just pure action. Right. But it's been a while. I just know like the major plot points. Which kind of goes, you're like talking about the slowness of the downtime moments. The downtime moments? Yeah. Kind of goes with my point of how I wanted there to be more relationship. I felt like there wasn't enough relationship in this film. There wasn't much conflict in their relationship. That either. Yeah. Like it was basically Selena's like, you got to come with me or you're going to die. And Jim's like, okay. You got to kill someone really quick or they'll die. Okay. Okay. I mean, I won't, but okay. Thank you. Frank's like, we got to go. And they're like, okay. People just felt like archetypes, which I know is like a huge thing in horror in general, but also specifically in zombie movies. But there is usually an archetype with a little bit of extra or there's something 
And this time it was just very cookie cutter yeah. archetypes. It's also a pretty early movie. Like it's an early zombie movie. And I think it's before The Walking Dead. So. Oh, yeah, for sure. Maybe The Walking Dead was like, you need to talk more about the drama. Drama. Yeah. It's not, I don't want to get, I don't want my words twisted that I need more drama. I just need better relationships. That's fair. Yeah. But what I, my final thought was going to be is exactly kind of what you were saying of how I feel like this movie is more of an action movie, thriller, zombie horror. Not even, yeah, it just, it feels more like an action movie that happens to have zombies in it, which is fine. But I just, I'd rather watch a horror, a zombie horror like Cargo or Train to Busan or where it is a lot more of the the relationship. I crave it. Yeah. Also, they're not zombies. They're technically infected. Whatever. Same thing in cargo, too. Yeah. They're <laughs> like plant infected or something. Yeah. Well, that's been 28 Days Later, a movie about how the military is definitely going to save us at the end of this whole thing. <laughs> Next week, we'll be watching Wreck from 2007. If you would like to be featured in an upcoming episode, be sure to write a synopsis for us. Send it to drinking and screaming at gmail.com. And remember, always scream responsibly. Ah, Bye! Cough, cough, cough. I know I made that joke last time, but it's pretty good.